So have your way. We pray, blow where your spirit will. And change our hearts. Help us to repent today and believe the good news we hear. We ask this in your name, Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13.3, Margie read for us today, says, uh, For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or future, all belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Friends, today we proclaim the good news of Jubilee. Jubilee is is the reality that God owns it all. And as we lay our lives down, the good news in Jubilee is that all things become ours in Christ. Today we proclaim the good news of Jubilee, that God owns it all. And as we lay all things down, all things become ours in Christ Jesus. We've been preaching this summer uh, about the way of Jesus and our possessions. So the, the, the title's been Bringing Our Stuff to the Table, uh, figuratively, not, not literally. We're not dumping off our stuff at the church, the table. But we are bringing our stuff to the table with Christ and talking about what difference does Jesus make with our possessions. And so if you've been with us this summer, we've talked about the first week from, from stress to the way of simplicity then from greed to the way of charity, from insecurity to the way of trust and dependence, from last week, from insatiable desire to the way of contentment, and this week, friends, from the way of ownership to the way of stewardship. I was an American history major in college. I was fascinated by history. I still love history. Deacon and I will listen to history podcasts often together. Uh, and he's wrapped. He loves it too. I always um, couldn't, and anytime I talk to somebody who didn't like history, it's because they were taught uh, dates and facts and they weren't told stories. History is, is beautiful when you hear people's stories. And one of the stories that I was most fascinated with when I was an American history major in college was the story of the indigenous people in the United States when Europeans showed up. Uh, there was, uh, there's, there's too many stories to tell you But um, over and over, what fascinated me was the welcoming hospitality of most indigenous people initially to Western Europeans and how Western Europeans were coming out of a world that understood land differently than the native indigenous peoples of America. So in Europe, just taking European peoples, most of the pilgrims were from Europe, land was a a zero-sum game. One of the reasons people came to America was because there was land that wasn't claimed by royalty. In Europe, in the 1600s, 1700s, there was no free land. There was no land for sale. (laughs) It was all sold, all owned, all claimed. And so, unless you were part of the, not the the 1%, but like the 0.01%, you didn't own land you worked land for somebody else. So what happens is America's discovered there is more land than people know what to do with. As, as Europeans come here, they, they conquer the land, they claim it, 
And then they realize that the native peoples don't think about land the way that Europeans do. So the native peoples didn't think in terms of ownership. They just thought in terms of, more in terms of stewardship. Like the land isn't owned by us. We exist on the land, right? And so what ha- began to happen is pilgrims, you guys, some of you know the story. We began uh, giving them things like uh, gunpowder and liquor and malaria, and they gave us things like land. And uh, it's a little more complicated than that. But what happened was, uh, what happened was over time, Europeans claimed more and more of the land and pushed native people or indigenous people farther and farther from the land that they wanted. The reason I bring that up and the reason I share that uh, is because I want to suggest that part of our cultural consciousness, part of our American story is that um, is that we is that there's there's a there's a scarcity of resources in land and the good life or the American dream, if you will, is to claim it and to gain it and to own it. We live in a world even today that tells us, if you don't act now, you're going to miss out. This sale is only going on, there's a sale at pennies, and it's only going on the next 48 hours. This special offer, it's Amazon Prime Day, and you can't get the Amazon Echo any cheaper than right now, and there's a clock counting down that tells you when the sale, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a clock counting down, and, and if you don't act now, you won't get the echo for that price, which is why I bought it last week. <laughs> we live in a world of good sales, special offers, limited time deals. And our job, friends, the story, this America story, we come by honestly, I think it's always been in us, is that there's a limited number of resources And if you don't act now, you're going to miss out. And our job as a a good American is to act on our inalienable rights to pursue our happiness through claiming, owning, and consuming. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I get a name in, Sydney? Uh, Just yesterday, this is just yesterday, this is how I'm aware of this showing up in my life. I went on a date with my daughter, Celeste. We went to Mama Bear's, which is not my favorite place to go because the coffee stinks. But they, they sell, uh, sorry, some of you might like the coffee. And some of you, one of you may own Mama Bear's. I just don't <laughs> prefer the coffee. Um, they, they, sell, they sell this cold brew coffee called Sure Shot that's made by Vardigan, which is in downtown Fishers. It's decent cold brew coffee. So we go there. My daughter orders uh, her high caloric coffee uh, and sugared breakfast, and I, I ask for a sure shot cold brew coffee. I'm pretty excited. I sit down, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and it seems like, gosh, they, they forget about me, or they're too busy. Um, I've got all kinds of stories to um, blame other people for my inconveniences, and so I look over in the cold case where the, where the drinks are, and there's a bottle. They, there's like a little, uh, what do they call them, Bo- bomber bottles? The little uh, chubby bottle? full of the cold brew coffee, sure shot cold brew coffee sitting in the cold case. And I thought, oh, I, I was supposed to go get that. 
like they're not, they're not making this for me. I have to go get that. So I get up, I go over there, I get the bottle, I come sit down, I open it up. I'm like drinking out of this little chubby, you know, it looks like a little old, one of those old beer bottles. Remember the bottles that Laverne and Shirley were cleaning on the line during the opening of Laverne and Shirley? It looked like one of those bottles. I'm drinking my cold brew coffee out of that. And then the woman announces, I got a, I got a sure shot for Matt. And she puts my glass out there. And immediately I'm like, oh, that, that's, my, that's my coffee. So I go get it. I come back down. And, I'm, and the thought is, yeah, I got two coffees now. <laughs> it's kind of nice. And then I think, I didn't pay, one, one of these I didn't pay for, and I'm not sure which one. I'm pretty sure it's the one I grabbed out of the cold case. I didn't pay for it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't have to pay for it. They're so busy. They don't even know what they're, they don't even know what's going on right now. It's just slammed. I'm speaking to my daughter, and I just realize, that, you know, the Spirit of the Lord kind of just convicts me. I go up. I say, hey, uh, I was confused. I grabbed this bottle out of the cold case. I think you made my cold brew. I need to pay for it. And she's like, oh, are you sure? And at that point, you got to go, yes, I'm sure. Uh, no, I'm not sure. Thanks. You know, like, what do you say? So, so I said, yeah, I'm sure. I pull my credit card, and she, it's like $7 for this thing. And as I'm paying, I have this gnawing, like, like resentment. I've already got one of these bottles. They're refillable at Vardigan. I didn't need it. And it drives me nuts that, like, this cold brew from the cold case cost almost as much as the breakfast I'm having with my daughter. And I'm just aware, like, I could have just, I could have just owned this and not had to pay for it, but now, now I'm paying for it. I'm planning a golf outing on Labor Day with some, with some friends, and there were Groupons for a golf outing, and they, ex- and they were like percentages off, so like, uh, like a round of four and a lunch, a couple golf courses here in the area. But it was just yesterday, limited time deal that I had to buy these things. So I'm, I'm kind of furiously texting these guys. And my wife is like, what are you doing? Why don't, like, come be with the family. And I'm like, I'm trying to plan this Labor Day golf outing. And it takes me about 40 minutes to text all these guys, make sure these golf courses will work, call the golf courses, make sure they don't have outings on the days we want to play. I get it all done. It takes me about 90 minutes. And like, I've ordered the Groupons and I realized like, I saved a total of like $17. And as I looked at the total I saved, I'm like, what, that's a, like, basically, that's about $10 an hour I paid myself to work on this deal for the last hour and a half. Is this worth that to me? There's something in me, though. You tell me it's a limited time deal, I'll, I'll buy anything from you. <laughs> Third, this is all yesterday. My wife and I are talking about needing to buy an iPad. Uh, our kids' schools... Uh, inexplicably think it's great to give six-year-olds unfettered access to the internet all day. Uh, And so we have to submit to that uh, and get our kids iPads for school. Um, This is the latest, greatest in educational techniques. And so we are trying to figure out, we can't use our old iPads because they can't run the new software that they want to use at school. And so my wife and I are trying to figure out how to afford an iPad and who buys an iPad? Do we rent iPads for the kids? Like, how does this all work out? And, and I find, like, uh, what makes most financial sense is for the two kids to rent iPads from the school for, like, 80 bucks a year and for me to stick with my uh, five-year-old crack-screened iPad. But, but this is a good opportunity for me to get a new iPad. <laughs> like, I've been looking for the reason 
to get me a new iPad, uh, which would be great, except they're like $550. Friends, can you relate to living in a world that tells us if you don't act now, you're going to miss out? A world full of limited time offers, special deals, flash sales, where our job is to accumulate and acquire and own. Today, friends, into that world, into our normal, maybe inescapable even, American world, today we proclaim the good news of Jubilee, the good news that God owns it all. And if we are willing to lay it all down, we get it all back in Christ Jesus. Today we proclaim the good news of Jubilee, that God owns it all. And if we're willing to lay it all down, we get it all back. All things are ours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to try to preach four texts in 10 minutes. This idea of Jubilee from Leviticus that Spencer read about, we could spend a whole sermon series on Jubilee. But essentially, friends, Jubilee was this stipulation in Leviticus of every 50 years, four things happen. You leave your soil fallow, meaning you don't plant crops. You remit debt. So anybody who's indebted, your mortgage, gone. Your car payment, done. Your college loans, forgiven. Any slave you had was liberated. And four, families returned to their ancestral property. So don't plant, debt's forgiven, slaves are freed, and land is reappropriated back to ancestral uh, lines. Here's the thing about Jubilee. There's no evidence that Israelites ever practiced it. It's this huge theme in the Old Testament. The prophets talk about it all the time. And it's thought the reason why it wasn't practiced is because the people in charge, the people with power in Israel, they stood a lot to lose with Jubilee. They were the ones who loaned money. They were the ones who had the land. They were the ones who owned slaves. Right? They were the ones who were uh, planting the most crops. So Jubilee was too costly to celebrate. Every 50 years. So one of the themes that we'll probably preach through this fall uh, is that Jesus' entire ministry could be described as initiating Jubilee, right? So his, his foundational sermon in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, or recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captive free, right? And declare the year of the Lord's favor. That is Jubilee language. Jesus is saying, it's Jubilee time, y'all. Let's party. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. When he teaches the Lord's Prayer, uh, I, I worked, I served for a while in the Presbyterian Church, on a, a Presbyterian Church, <laughs> the only Presbyterian Church, uh, a Presbyterian Church on the south side of Indy, and we prayed the Lord's Prayer, not forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins, but we, we prayed it, forgive us our debts. The, the word in Matthew's gospel means like, debt means actual like debt it's an economic word 
Jesus is teaching his friends to participate. This is how I communicate and live with the Father. I pray that the Jubilee would be a reality in my life. That God, you would, you would treat me in Jubilee as I treat others. <laughs> That's, so it's all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament. And so friends, the good news is that in Jesus, God's Jubilee has begun. Meaning, God is reminding us, I own it all. You don't have to be indebted to other people. You don't have to be enslaved to other people. Like the land is mine. You can rest, stop acquiring and accumulating and achieving. That's good news. Because it takes us out of the bad news of this, like I've got to act now to acquire this or accumulate that or plant this. And we can receive that God owns it all. God owns it all. And if we follow Jesus by laying it down, we get it all back in Christ Jesus. So Luke 14 is this interesting text. Margie, Margie read it today, or not Margie, um, who read it today? Raina read it today, right? So uh, I read this text, uh, no one can follow me unless you hate your family. And then you have to take up your cross and then something about like a tower and an army, uh, and then uh, you got to give up all your possessions. So like this is where I, this is where my sermon turns into a guilt trip, right? I mean this is like like somebody told Jesus, somebody forgot to remind him to focus on the family, right? Like he's just he doesn't quite get like what's going on here, right? Like I don't hate my dad, our relationship's complicated, but I don't hate him. What's going on here? Real quick, you guys, real quick. Understanding Jubilee, that Jesus' kingdom message is this Jubilee. Any time you talked about someone building a tower and an army attacking another army, and you had a large crowd of people, which is what Luke 14 says, people who think you might be the Messiah, you can't be thought of as the Messiah and talk about somebody building a tower and not having enough resources to finish it and a smaller army counting the cost of beating a larger army and not be thinking temple and Israel and Rome. You're already the Messiah. People already expect you to rebuild the temple and throw out Rome, overturn Rome. So Jesus isn't just like pulling things willy-nilly here. He's drawing on Imagine it's 2040 and, and Donald Trump's wall still isn't built yet. And I'm standing on the border of Mexico and I'm saying, well, if you're going to build a wall, maybe you should count your resources before you do it just because you don't want to look like a fool. Like everybody would know what I'm talking about, right? This is what's happening here. Because Herod, the King, King Herod, I think it was like 1619 <coughs> BC, he started rebuilding the temple. And this is... 29 AD, it still isn't done yet. The temple doesn't get completed until 63 AD. Remember the date that it's torn down? 70. It took 79 years for Herod to rebuild the temple. So the temple is in this state of partial being rebuilding, and Jesus says, if somebody's going to build a tower, they better make sure they have enough resources to do it, or else they'll look foolish. Who's he talking about? And in that context of an unfinished temple building, 
and this growing unrest between Israel and Rome, Jesus is talking here about power. He's talking about power. And he's talking about how we operate in power in the world. So family and possessions are how, are, are how an Israelite asserted and maintained their status and power in culture. This isn't Jesus saying, like, stick it to your family. He's reordering family around himself. So this word hate, we hear it as like emotional, kind of a, kind of a pejorative word. It means more like reject or lay down. That's what it means. And so Jesus is talking about the ways in which people achieve status and power in our world come into conflict in my kingdom. When he says, take up your cross, we just gloss that as, well, you, gotta, you gotta like die to yourself. But the people who died on a cross were political criminals. <laughs> They're political criminals. Like there really isn't anything close in our culture to that other than maybe <clears throat> if I were to say something like, and this is complicated, but something like, um, go live in Gu Guantanamo Bay and follow me. Like, I'd, it would get your attention. Like, that would, there would be a whole other world that I'd be importing into what I'm describing to you other than just die to yourself. Does that make sense? Like, Jesus is saying, if you're following me because you think I'm gonna make the temple amazing and defeat the Romans, you're wrong. You're wrong. The way that Rome dominates us and asserts power over us, the cross, you gotta take it up embrace the way your impressor wants to shame you. Why? Why does Jesus say that? Why does Jesus say, lay down your family, lay down your possessions, embrace the shame your impressor wants to give you? Because it's Jubilee, friends. Because God owns it all. And because the way into that for us is to lay down every claim of power and privilege and status that we would eck out. Do you know who I am? Do you know what my degree is? Do you know where I live? Do you know what I've done? Lay it down. Lay it down. So that we can receive all things belonging to Christ Jesus. Amen? It's good news. It's good news in a world that tells us we're going to miss it if we don't claim it, accumulate it, acquire it. And this all things are ours comes from 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going a little over 10 minutes. Apologies. But 1 Corinthians 3 that Margie read today. These Corinthians are following these different celebrity preachers in Corinth. One follows Ben. You know. Another follows uh, Deb. And another follows uh, Noah. And Paul's like, you guys are having these factions and rivalries and you don't realize that like You've already got, like, you don't need to divide and cut it up. All things are yours. And this is foolishness to the world. But Jesus initiated jubilee, which means the scarcity and the zero-sum game is over. All things are yours. All things are yours in Christ Jesus. Stop fighting over territory and personalities and church wars and my church is better than yours or my preacher is better than yours or whatever it is. 
All things are yours. That church that you're better than, they're yours too. <laughs> they're yours too. Friends, today in a world of scarcity, accumulating, acquiring, where we have to act now because we're going to miss it, today Jesus I declare the good news. We declare the good news that Jesus came to bring Jubilee. No more debt. No more slavery. God owns it all and he's willing to give it to whoever will lay it all down so it all can be theirs in Christ Jesus. Friends, where is this hitting you today? Where are you tempted to want to accumulate and acquire to not open your life up to Jubilee? Where are you unbelieving that God really does own it all? That all things are yours? And how would you know if you didn't believe that? Well, for me, it's anxiety and worry and fear. And not just financially. It, it, does, it is that financially. But I'm driving over here, friends, from, I go on a walk uh, on, um, there's only like two paths that last more than a 10-minute walk through trees and fishers, and I know them both. And I was on one of them uh, just this morning. And I'm driving here, 25 miles an hour. You get, this, this probably happened to you on the way here too. And I'm literally 30 feet from this intersection and this SUV pulls out in front of me and, and, and kind of goes about 27 and a 35. And I, it's, it's literally pulling out in front of me. And I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I'm like worshiping and reflecting on this good news. And immediately, this S, this Y, I'll tell, tell you the license plate number if you want. This SUV, <laughs> this SUV pulls out in front of me, and immediately I'm aware of this SUV has territory I, that I had. And now, and now I don't get what I want because this person is taking what was mine. It doesn't have to be money, friends, it can be territory. It could be your desire, what interferes with your desire that tells you, you, I have to cruise control my car at 35 all the way here without interruption or else I don't get the good life. I would never circle that on like a doctrinal statement, but somewhere in my bones I believe that. So Ben mentioned we're looking to buy a church. We're looking to figure out what to do after we can't meet here anymore. And that's imminent. It could be like August 6th. We're like, hey, by the way, meet us at this place. Or it could be October. We just don't know. But we're talking to this, um, uh, this, this guy who owns the Little White Church on Lantern Road in Fishers. And um, there's, there's a lot of me that's like excited about that and worried about that. And I find that, um, I find that this bad news that like, I like, this is it. Like somehow I've got to figure out how to make this happen because if we miss this deal, like if the clock counts down, this is our Amazon Prime Church deal. If the clock counts down on this deal, then, it, then, God, then God is not good anymore. The jubilee's over, right? And it's every man for himself. That's the first thing. I, I'm noticing it in this, and we're gonna have a conversation with this guy tomorrow. I notice it. I feel it here when that happens. There's also the sense of, what this guy's asking for this building, like, I don't have that. I can't just whip out my Discover card and pay for that. 
right? I can do that with an Amazon Echo, and then there's like a 30-minute conversation with my wife. But, but, but I can't do that for this church building. And so like, the other thing this in, interacts with me in is, is I've got to invite people with means into helping us procure a place to gather. And, and I don't like that. Some people love that. Some people are like, oh yeah, how much money did you raise? $400,000? Let's do this. I'm not going to sleep or eat until we get it. And I'm like, oh, that's what we got to do? Okay, I guess we'll just meet in my basement. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to press into relationships asking for money because in my body, I don't really believe that God owns it all. I believe that any conversation I have with you about money is like wrestling over something that you don't want to give me and I don't want you to think that I want, but I need. And so there's this weird, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? So there's this weird like negotiation where like I'm trying to pretend like I don't really need it, but here's an opportunity for you. And if you want to, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Friends, that's how the bad news is at work in me. My car ride over here, thinking about the future of our church. Where is it at work for you? Where do you, where do you maybe not intellectually have trouble believing that God's jubilee is here in Jesus, but in your actual life, like you're in your guts and your bones, you realize, I don't really trust. I don't live like God owns it all. I don't really trust that all things are mine. Everything belongs to me as I lay it all down. Like I still want the tower to get built and the army to get bigger. Where are you in touch with that today? Let's just take 30 or 40 seconds of silence for the Holy Spirit to just speak to you about that. Give him, give him permission to move.